It's been a while. I know I shouldn't have kept you waiting. But I'm here now. Every time I leave and come back, I'm going to have to start off with a song like that. You know, I think we did great with Aaliyah that other episode, but this one kills me. It's so dramatic. And I literally can't hear anyone say, it's been a while, without hearing it in that voice. Like, anyway, good morning, ladies, gentlemen, and non-binaries alike. You are tuned in to PSA Papi. Now, for those of you listening for the first time, welcome to your new favorite podcast where we get into current events, politics, and pop culture to keep that ass entertained and informed. I'm your host, Anthony Betances. Today, we have a couple topics on schedule. There's been so much going on in the world right now, but you know what? I wanted to address a couple lighter things in advance before we really get into it. First of all, shout out to Nicki Minaj, the queen of rap, for the spectacular numbers she did on the re-release of her iconic 2009 mixtape, Beam Me Up Scotty. Nicki put out her old shit and sold 79k first week. Those are numbers not even the pop girls are doing on their new shit. She dead debuted on the Billboard 200 US album chart at number two with 12-year-old music that's been out for free, again, for 12 motherfucking years. Second only to J. Cole, who put out his first solo project in three years. Not even Drake, who released So Far Gone on streaming in 2019, did those numbers. His tape did 45K first week with a number five debut on Billboard. Highest charting mixtape, don't fucking play with her. Let's give it up for the queen. This bitch is really no fucking <laughs> Next, I just want to offer my condolences to those living in Georgia and the DMV and, you know, all those other places where those cicadas are cicada-ing. You feel me? Motherfuckers think they're Jesus or something. Been gone for a whole 17 years. All of a sudden want to resurrect like... No! God, please, no! No! I feel... <laughs> I feel for you guys. Listen, if you haven't seen the footage, don't worry. You don't want to. It's gross. Cicadas everywhere. I feel like you can't even go outside and open your mouth, fuck around and end up like that dead girl in Silence of the Lambs with that shit in the back of her throat. Nope. Now, I know the CDC said we can keep our masks off outside, but I think I'm going to have to advise against it. And now, lastly, I just want to thank everybody who listened to my last episode, episode 7, Change. It was my most vulnerable moment yet, keeping it real with all of you and telling you all the most intimate and ratchet details of my life and what God has done for me. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate the way you all have received it. You know, I've had a lot of people who were like, what? You know, just taken aback at some of the things that I shared. And uh, a lot of people were encouraged and had their faith affirmed through this episode, which is great because that's really what a testimony is. It's a great reminder for both ourselves and others of just how good God is and what he's done because as fickle-ass human beings, we tend to forget. So, you know, I thank you guys for listening and for fucking with me and continuing to tune in and offer feedback as I work, you know, toward focusing uh, and directing my time and energy back at this little project of mine. And now, today's episode, I've called it Ink in Israel. I'm going to talk about Israel and Palestine, but before I do that, let me just share a brief testimony about the tattoos I got on my hands. Now, I got them about a month and a half ago, almost almost two months ago, um, and when I first posted them a few weeks after the fact, a lot of people hit me like, oh my God, like, what did you do? That's crazy. You know, what did your mom say? What did your grandma say? Like, what do they even mean? So I just wanted to share a bit about them because, well, they're fucking popping, and I am proud of them. So here's how it all went down. Two years ago, when I was in my wilderness season, which I talked about in my last episode, episode seven, 
God used scripture in Isaiah to signal that he was going to do a new thing in my life. And he'd done that on a couple of different occasions in my life, you know, very loudly signal that, hey, I'm doing a new thing. So one day, two years ago, after rereading Isaiah 43, I continued and started reading Isaiah 44. Now, in the first few verses, God affirms his people, encouraging us and saying that he will help and bless us and our descendants. And when you get to verse five, it says about those who believe in him, quote, some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand the Lord's and will take the name Israel. That stuck out to me back then because I fully understood that this was talking about a tattoo. You know, like, like, what good is it to write God's name on your hands to publicly claim your devotion to him only to have it disappear the next day because it was in Crayola washable marker? So that much was clear to me, but it also stuck out to me because it says some will take the name Israel and that's already my middle name. It was my paternal grandfather's name and it's my dad's name and named his first son with his first wife that and then he named his second son with his second wife that and by the time we got to me, I mean, was like, now I know you fucking lying. You are not about to have a third son with that same name. Bye. So they named me Anthony Israel Betances. Uh, so since I already had the name Israel down and, you know, here I was renewing my devotion to him and doing it so fully as I was then, I kept that in the back of my mind as a dope tattoo idea. Now, for context, I didn't have any tattoos at the time, but I will get to that in a moment. So fast forward to 2020, I was living in Boston. My church in Harlem was uh, gearing up to do baptisms and I was ready to do that either then or maybe the next round, but the pandemic upended all of that. Now here we were a whole year later, I still wasn't able to be baptized formally because of the panty. And I was like, all right, well, what can I do in the meantime? And I remembered the tattoo idea, but I can just go do it. Like, first of all, I had to pray about whether or not that was even something that God wanted me to do. So I decided to do that to seek his approval. But in the meantime, I decided to do my necessary research, knowing that in the process, it would be revealed to me whether or not God was in this situation at all. Aside from that, there were two things that I needed to figure out. First of all, I had to figure out what it was that I'll be writing on my hands. I don't know Hebrew. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not, I'm not Jewish. I don't know Hebrew. All right. So I Googled, you know, transliterations of the Isaiah text, literally like the Hebrew texts and the English translation side by side to see if I could figure out what the characters would be. And I narrowed, it's like, it's almost like engineering. Like it's literally like figuring out a puzzle. And I narrowed them down to three variations, but didn't know which of the three it was that would have been written down according to Isaiah. If it was literally like the sentence, I am of Jehovah or I am of Yahweh, depending on how you pronounce it. If it was of, to, or for Yahweh, or how we would say Yahweh's, uh, you know, with an apostrophe S, or if it was literally just the name Yahweh. Now, I wasn't just about to tattoo some shit permanently on my body without getting it right, like, you know, and since Google couldn't give me their answers, I did exactly what the Trump administration didn't. I listened to the experts. <laughs> I literally went to Google, typed in Hebrew scholar, and clicked the first search result that wasn't Wikipedia. It was a press piece on Dr. James Watts, who's a professor in the Department of Religion in the College of Arts and Sciences at Syracuse University. Sounds legit, right? So I emailed the guy and it was legit 4 a.m. And I emailed him like, hey, this is random, but like I was hoping you could help me out. Uh, I didn't tell him why I wanted to know, but basically I told him everything I'd looked into and asked for his advice on which was the best answer. He told me it almost certainly was Yahweh's and pointed to the Lamelech seals uh, as the reason why. Now, there have been a couple thousand storage jars that were found in and around Jerusalem dating back to 700 BC, which also was a time more or less when Isaiah was written. And these jars were marked with seals that read Lamelech. 
uh, which, uh, you know, pardon my pronunciation if I'm not even getting it right, but it means of, to, or for the king, or, you know, how we would read it in English, the kings. So I'd also asked about what the Hebrew might have looked like back then. So he also pointed me to what the Tetragrammaton, uh, which is another word for God's name, looked like in Paleo-Hebrew. Knowing now what my tattoo would be, knowing what it would look like, I still had to figure out who would do it if I was even supposed to do it. And the reason that was so important to me is because eight and a half years ago, I went to a tattoo parlor and got my nipple pierced. I'm sorry, what? That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's right, y'all. Your boy had his left nipple pierced. Um, it was freshman year college before classes even started. I really had wanted to get it done for some time. So I went ahead and I did the thing. And, you know, it didn't quite heal well. Just so you guys know, they take about a full year to heal. Well, four months later, I was at home and it was the day before I went back to school from winter break. I woke up and it was out. Like, it was just completely out on my bed. I was like, fuck. And uh, it wouldn't go back in. Pause. <laughs> I was like, shit. So I ended up having to go to the shop and have it reinserted. And, uh, you know, that hurt way more than just getting it done in the first place. And I was like, you know what, guys? Like, if this shit happens again... If this shit gives me more problems, I'm going to just take it out. I'm going to take it as a sign and I'm going to just be done with it. Tell me why. Three months later, I'm up late working on a paper. I feel my, my shit itching. It's just, my nipples just itching. And I look, at, I look at my shirt and it's just halfway out. It's just, it's just halfway out. And the ball at the end was nowhere to be found. I was like, well, heard you. And, you know, I just let it close up and heal. But that's not where the story ends. So a few months later, here we are, summer 2013, I became friends with this kid who had a septum piercing. And, you know, I thought it was really cute. And I knew that it would look damn cute on me too. And I was like, fuck it, that shouldn't be a problem. Let me go do that. So me and this friend I used to have, we met up on Mass Ave one day to go together and we were gonna take the green line. But when we got to the platform at Heinz Convention Center, tell me why the train that was supposed to come get us was stuck in the tunnel. It was stu like stuck, stuck. Like, legit stuck, not moving. There were a bunch of little MBTA workers in the distance running around like little Oompa Loompas trying to just, you know, figure it out. And we're like, bruh. So we spent a considerable amount of time there uh, on the platform waiting, and it was looking like we weren't going to make it if we kept, you know, waiting there. So we said, fuck it. It is what it is. Let's take a taxi. You know, this was, <laughs> this was pre-Uber. So we take a cab and we get there. It's about an hour till close. We go in and they're like, oh, we're not doing piercings anymore. I'm like, the fuck? Like, fuck you mean? And they're like, oh yeah, you know, we cleaned everything already. We're done for the day. So I'm annoyed as fuck because I'm just like, why wouldn't you say that on your website or on your Facebook? Like, y'all are really open for a whole other hour for what? That was, I was so annoyed. So peep, that was attempt number one to get this piercing. Attempt number two was one day I had a little thing in my place and the next morning a few homies didn't have to work, including that friend that I used to have with the septum piercing. So, you know, we all took the train and we went. Now, at that time, I had misplaced my wallet. So everywhere I went, I had been taking my passport. Tell me why we get there. I'm filling the shit out. They asked for my ID. Turns out I don't even have my passport on me. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, How? Like, back then, I was meticulous with my shit. Like, yeah, I know I lost my fucking wallet. I write whatever. But I didn't go out without counting the items I was taking with me. Like, I used to literally be like, my phone, wallet, keys, etc. So I was just like, really, bro? So obviously, they didn't let me do it. So I went back home, got my passport. One of the friends that was with me came back with me for attempt number three, same day. So there I am. I have everything I need. 
I'm approved to get this done. I fill out the paperwork. You know, I'm, I'm sitting on the couch just waiting. And now at this time, my mom was in DR with my grandma. That's how I had people over in the apartment the night before to begin with, because mommy was away. <laughs> Cats away while the mice will play. Yo, you already know, all right? So... Now, if you listen to episode seven, you know, in the first few minutes, I talk about how in my family, we've always known about God because of the many miracles we've witnessed, large and small, and the ways that God has moved in particular through my grandmother. Now, tell me why at the exact moment that the piercer calls my name, that it's my turn, my phone starts to ring. It's my mom. So I pick up and she's like, what are you doing right now? I'm like, what? She's like, what are you doing? Chula's here and she's praying and the Lord just keeps presenting you. What are you doing right now? Bruh. <laughs> Yo, they had no idea where I was or what I was doing. To this day, they don't even know what I was doing. They don't even know I had the other piercing. So I get that and I'm like, okay, ha, wait. Oh my God. <laughs> Meanwhile, the piercers, they're calling my name, mad annoyed, like, hello. And my mom's on the other line like, what are you doing? And I'm like, bruh, it's too much. And I, you know, I, <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm all set. Thanks. And you know, the picture was mad annoyed, but I'm like, you know what? The first two times trying to get this done and failing weren't enough, but by now this shit was loud and fucking clear. I'm like, you know what, God heard you. You know what I'm saying? I may not have been the most obedient, but I sure wasn't a fucking idiot. So I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't know why. Like, I don't know if it was something about the shop or the piercer or me doing any body modification in the first place. Like, I didn't know what the issue was, but it was enough that I knew God didn't want it to take place. So I was like, bet, heard you. That's why now, you know, fast forward 2021, in wanting to get this tattoo, I was like, listen, if God approves this, great, but it needs to be done by the right person. You know, the tattoo industry is notoriously satanic. Like, I'm not even forcing it. Like, we all know it. Tattoo parlors are literally covered in demonic art. And I can't have someone who has dedicated themselves and their work to the enemy, my enemy, who's trying to kill me on numerous occasions, put hands on me and permanently alter my body in doing what's supposed to be a public dedication to my God. Absolutely not. Mind you, in researching local tattoo shops, I noticed that the place that I got my piercing at, where I, you know, where I was going to get my septum pierced, they literally have 666 in their phone number. I'm just noticing this now, like eight years later. That is not something that happens by chance. It's probably something that they paid extra to get to begin with. So you know what type of time they're on. No wonder God was like, skirt, skirt, at that septum piercing. <laughs> and the nipple. <laughs> So anyway, here I am researching Christian tattoo artists, which is like fighting a fucking needle in a haystack. And I come across this article about this guy, Matt Buck, who was on season 10 of Ink Master, by the way, which is funny because I interned for the network when they were shooting season five. But anyway, this guy, Matt Buck, he's Jewish, didn't believe in God, co-founded this tattoo shop called No Idols in New York and, you know, had a series of experiences afterwards that led him to Jesus. So I'm like, all right, I creeped his IG, found his website, seemed legit. His art was dope too, which, you know, I'd come across a few tattoo artists who were Christian, but their skills were not up there for me. And I was not about to compromise on that. Absolutely not. So anyway, I, you know, I'm scrolling on his website. I get to the bottom and you know how like websites that are done by Squarespace uh, at the bottom, it says powered by Squarespace, but you can change it to say powered by, you know, whatever. Uh, his said powered by Hashem and uh, Hashem was a link. So I clicked on it and it opened up Isaiah 53 on Bible Hub. 
And I didn't know what Hashem was, so I Googled it after, and it literally translates to the name, and it's in reference to God, you know, since culturally it's forbidden to, um, for them to pronounce Yahweh. But anyway, so it said powered by Hashem. It opened up to Isaiah 53. Now, this was the first time I had ever read Isaiah 53. And it was clear as day as I'm reading it that this was a prophetic word about Jesus who about 700 years after this was written came to bear our sins so that we may have salvation. So at this point, I'm like, you know what? Bet this guy's legit. So I'm like, let me, you know, inquire. I go to the tattoo shop's website to submit the inquiry. And there's this whole picture there of the storefront with a whole neon sign of the devil in the window. And I'm like, oh, now I know. <laughs> I'm like, I know you fucking lying. Like, ah, uh, why? Why? For what? Ah, uh. mind you, at this point, I'm thinking the guy's the co-owner of the place because that's what the article said. And I'm like, why do you have Satan in the window? Like, why? Please. On top of that, the NI logo, which stood for no idols, was updated in other places on the website. But in the picture of the storefront, the I looked like an upside down cross. And I was like, um, nah, absolutely not. What the fuck? Now, so that was really discouraging. Whatever. It was super early in the morning. I actually had to go to sleep. I went ahead. I took a nap uh, before I got up for work. Now, a few hours later... 1024 a.m. My friend Shekinah sends me an email and it's just a YouTube link in the body. But the subject heading was, and I quote, worship song, Isaiah 53. I saw that and I was like, bruh. Again, remember we established in the last episode that coincidences absolutely do not exist. Maybe three hours earlier was the first time I had ever even read Isaiah 53. So for my friend Shekinah, who has an intimate relationship with the Lord, who's one of like two people who even knew about this tattoo idea, but who didn't know anything about my search or Matt or any of that because it had literally just happened early in the morning, three hours earlier, to now randomly, quote unquote, randomly send me that song? Bruh. Let's keep it real. That shit was crazy. And it's not even like Isaiah 53 is like one of those ones that everyone knows, like Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer, you know? Nah, I legit had never heard of it before. So I was like, heck. So I'm like, girl, this is the situation. What do I do? They got Satan in the sign. Like, what's up? And she's like, okay, we'll ask him the question. Straight up. And I was like, you know what? But I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll do that. I'll ask him the question. So I submitted the inquiry. And in the meantime, I would, you know, be praying. And, you know, it's like, all right, we'll see what happens. Eventually, I heard back from whoever handles the scheduling. But that died out. And I didn't hear back for, I don't know, maybe like five or six days. But... You know, I decided that it wasn't going to be an honest effort on my part unless I followed up the way I literally would with anything else that I would do. So I'm like, all right, cool. And I followed up. The next day, I got my birth certificate in the mail. Long story short, I had a suspicion that my middle name might not actually be Israel, but instead the letter I. That's a, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, but I had to do my due diligence and, you know, order a copy just to make sure where I stood. And yeah, confirmed my middle name is Israel. So anyway, I heard back from the shop later that same day at 6.39. 20 minutes later, 6.59 p.m., my friend Shekinah texted me. This girl, who lives in Brooklyn, by the way, had been riding her bike in Lower East Side and just happened to bike by the tattoo shop, their second location, which they had just opened two months before, and sent me a picture. I was like, bruh, really, what, what are the odds? I was like, she didn't know that I was there. She didn't even know I had followed up the night before. 
or have received a response just then. So at this point, I'm like, hey, yo, God, what are you doing? <laughs> like, are you are you trying to tell me what I think you're trying to tell me? Because so. So I continue to coordinate with the scheduler. Um, so on March 28th. 2.26 p.m., I agreed to a consultation on April 1st with Matt via Instagram. Why an hour and a half later on that day, my friend Shekinah, again, text me like, Anthony, my cousin just sent this to me. So she sends me this YouTube video titled Joyce Meyer Thoughts on Tattoos. Joyce Meyer is a very popular uh, Christian author and speaker. And it's a dope video. It's like eight minutes long or something like that. And it's like her talking to a crowd basically using scripture to discourage pharisaic attitudes from Christians who twist what scripture says and condemn tattoos and piercings and judge those who have them when scripture actually doesn't do that. Uh, and at the 1 minute 28 second mark in that video, Meyer talks about this verse, Isaiah 44 verse 5, which is the basis for the tattoo that I wanted to get. Come on, I've been there, done that. Well, look at, look at those tattoos. Well, you, you see that man wearing that earring? Wow. <laughs> now, you know, I really don't have time to do this justice, but... <laughs> In Isaiah 44, 5, it says, One will say, I am the Lord's, and another one will call himself by the name of Jacob, and another will write or even brand or tattoo upon his hand, I belong to the Lord. Well, now there's some scriptures in there somewhere that tell you not to do that. Yeah, and this is where it's at. Leviticus 20, 28. Misquoted, which says, You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print or tattoo any marks on you for the dead. <laughs> you know, we just pick stuff out of here and leave out what we want to. And, the Bible says in Isaiah 49 that God has a picture of you tattooed on the palm of his hand. So for me, it was like, okay, heard you. At this point, it was clear that I was approved, but I needed to be sure that this was the guy for the job. And I still needed to understand why he had Satan in the window of his shop because like... What's good? Miley, what's good? So when I had my consultation with Matt, legit, he walked me through his testimony, which he didn't have to. And he explained that having given his life to Christ, he was beginning to figure out what he felt that he could no longer tattoo. So anything that was satanic, anything that glorified other deities, anything with witchcraft or astrology related, RIP tattoos because they violate Leviticus 19.28, which speaks against cutting your flesh or marking your body for the dead. So he stopped tattooing all these things, which if you think about it, is a pretty big chunk of what people get tattooed to begin with. So, you know, he's sacrificing some coin. But then he realized that although he wasn't doing them anymore, as a co-owner, he was still profiting from the other artists at his shop who were. So, you know, what difference was there really? So Matt went ahead, honored his commitment to God by continuing to work at No Idols, but giving up co-ownership of the shop. Now, as for Satan in the window, he explained that he was there since the shop opened and that as an artist at the shop, he didn't feel like it was his place to try to tell the owners what to do or how to decorate their business. And realistically, given the nature of the industry, there probably isn't a single shop without some kind of satanic influence. But if God has him there doing his thing and is set to utilize him for his glory, let's fucking go. So we set a date. 
It was two weeks after my second vaccination. You know I don't play. And by the way, I didn't even think about this until later, but the section of Isaiah 44 that comes after verse 5 in the um, New International Version, it's subtitled, The Lord, Not Idols. And that entire section is condemning idolatry. So that was really funny and yet another you know, non-coincidence that the shop I was getting the tattoo at was called No Idols. And uh, it was you know named that before Matt's devotion to Christ at that. So anyway, I went to New York, got my tattoos on Sunday, April 11th. The shop's down on Bowery. Thank God I found parking. Um, I went, Matt had done more research, which I was super impressed by. You know, I had wanted the tattoo in modern Hebrew on one hand and Paleo Hebrew on the other to represent how it was originally written. And Matt had gone ahead and researched the way the Tetragrammaton looked in Isaiah in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, and the scrolls were written in the current writings of the times. But when it came to the Tetragrammaton, it was written in this like fancy stylized version of the Paleo Hebrew. So it was super dope. We stuck to that. You know, we both prayed before we started and then we did the thing. So that's how I ended up with these tattoos. Super happy. They look super good. Um, I love when people ask me about them, uh, whether they ask, you know, what it means or, or, or ask me how that even came about. Um, it's just, it's it's really great. It's really blessed me. I hope that, that the story blesses others as well. And um, shout out to Matt Buck. Um, you can find him at he underscore draws on Instagram. Super grateful for the work that you did, man. Um, really appreciate it. And, you know, to God, all the glory. Now, speaking of Israel, I want to get into a very grave topic. And that is, of course, the current state of Israel and Palestine. I have some words to share. <laughs> Do I have words? But before I say my piece, I wanted to give a chance for relevant voices to speak on the matter and educate the public about the basics of the situation. On a previously recorded interview, please welcome two very special guests. With me, I have Gabby Aussie, who's a Muslim woman of Lebanese and Mexican descent with a BA from UCSD in Communications and Middle Eastern Studies with an emphasis on Palestine and Israel. She'll be attending law school in 2022 with a focus on international human rights and Palestine. I also have Samer Awida, Chicago organizer and grad school candidate. Thank you guys for joining me today. Thanks for having us. All right. So first of all, what are your connections, um, each of you, to Palestine? Can we go ahead, Gabby? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, my dad's side of the family is from the South Lebanon, which has a really strong connection to the Palestinian cause, as well as our own issues with Israel. So growing up, you know, my dad's side is from, from there. We grew up going to South of Lebanon and just seeing the rubble, the torn streets, the warfare, and what it's done to everyone there. And of course, I can only imagine, I personally have never been to Palestine, but my family has, my grandparents have, half my cousins are Palestinian too. And, you know, from their stories, we all, I know what happens. I can only imagine what happens if like the South of Lebanon is destroyed, what happens what has happened to Palestine and my mom being Mexican she is actually the one who really really pushed us to research and to learn and to be involved with what's going on in Palestine especially because you know we act like in the U.S. we're so disconnected but we're not we're extremely connected it's very parallel to what's going on here and directly financially we have a lot of ties to what's going on in Israel so it was really my mom who got me into it and that made me want to like make my whole career about Palestine. So that's kind of my background. Thanks, Samer. Yeah. Um, so I was, uh, I was born and raised in Palestine. I was born in 96 and I was actually um, born in the West Bank. Um, and I grew up during the second Intifada, which was kind of like the second uh, largest, um, 
the second time in history that Palestinians had sort of a massive uh, revolt against the Israeli occupation and genocide of our people. Um, and I was about four or five years old when that um, revolution happened in 2000, um, 2000, 2001. And um, I, the, the, the earliest memory so my family immigrated to Chicago after, well, immigration, immigrated is such a kind word to use. We fled as refugees to survive <laughs> um, in 2001. And I, I kid you not, the only memory I have of Palestine from, from that time was a giant Israeli tank rolling through um, my hometown. Um, and I remember being a little kid and I remember pointing at it and being, being like, mama, what's that? And my mom was just like, don't point at that. And she like uh, picked me up really tightly and like, you know, like ran away. Um, so I have a very deep connection to Palestine. My entire family is in Palestine. Uh, me, my mother and siblings are the only uh, people that are not located in Palestine right now. And I have family members who are martyrs who have lost, lost their lives defending my family. Um, just a few days ago, my one of my closest cousins was arrested by Israeli soldiers for trying to protect my family against um, settlers. And when I, you know, when I reached out to my aunt and I was like, uh, are there any updates on my cousin? What's going on? She's like, there's no updates, uh, but I'm relieved to find out that he's with your uncle whom he hasn't seen since he was four years old. Wow. And to me, it was just so heartbreaking. And it really, like, it really captures what a prison society like Israel does to Palestinians, you know, to separate the family and then have you be reunited in a prison. Um, it was Angela Davis herself that said, um, Palestine is, a worst case, Pal Palestinians living under Israeli occupation are the worst example of a carceral society. Mm -hmm. um, and with that being said, I've, I've had family members and continue to have family members um, detained in Israel by Israelis. And um, that is my driving, that's my driving passion. Wow. So what, um, you know, we know that people have named the, you know, quote unquote, Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, uh, and, and we know that this has been going on for decades, but what exactly is it about? Is it about religion? Is it about land? Like what got it started even? And, and how has it even come to this point? Uh, I'll take a shot at it real quick, Gabby. It's not religion. It has nothing to do with religion. And um, it's actually, there's, there's narrative building around it. So like the Israeli government spends millions of dollars and has spent millions of dollars creating an entire narrative around their country, their like country's existence. Um, so it's it's all goes back to Zionism. It's rooted in Zionism. Zionism is a political belief. It's just like libertarianism. It's just like, uh, well, not just like, there, there's <laughs> ideologies are completely different, but the concept of an ideology is like, you know, Marxism, socialism, republicanism, uh, Zionism. Zionism is the belief that Jews deserve Jews are entitled to a homeland in Palestine simply because they are Jewish and that because Palestinians are not Jewish. And so it's rooted in the idea that it's rooted in Jew Jewish supremacy. I mean, it, it rose, it arose in Europe. Um, and basically a lot of right wing um, governments supported Zionism because they wanted 
to support a white settlement in the Middle East, like, you know, quote, the Middle East, Swana, Southwest Asia. So um, it all started with that. Uh, a large movement began in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, Jewish settlers began arriving to Palestine, began purchasing land. Um, and then around the 1920s, Palestine fell under occupation of Britain. Um, and that's when Brit you know, Britain began colonizing the Levant, which is Britain and France, but mainly Britain. Um, and that's but when Britain- included. Right. <laughs> and that's when Britain began facilitating, like institutionally began like providing paperwork and supplies and um, like uh, ships and, and, and like mobilization for Jews to immigrate to Palestine. Um, and they started offering them protection. And between then and 1948, you know, the Jewish population of Palestine, I think, went from like 4% to like a little under 30%. I mean, it exploded. Um, so that's what it was rooted in. It's rooted in settler colonialism. Um, it's, it has nothing to do with religion. Jews lived in Palestine before and they were, a, Jews are not hegemonic. No group of people, is, or excuse me, homogenous. They're not homogenous. Uh, Muslims are not homogenous. There are Muslims in India. There are Muslims in Mexico there, that are Mexican or indigenous. There are Muslims in Africa. And then there are Jews in Africa that are black. There are Jews in the Philippines, you know, like they're not this homogenous group. And so Jews existed just like any other group of people all around the world. Zionism particularly is a white European settler colonial project that aims to make Israel the homeland for all Jews around the world at the expense of Palestinian life. So that's what it's rooted in 100%. And we see that in the fact that, the, that all other settler colonies on this world support them from Australia to Britain to the United States government. So I hope that was like, wanna add anything else, Gabby? I think I- Summer, you said it perfectly. <laughs> Everything I could have said, like absolutely perfectly. That's yeah, great. So I think, but I want, I guess, it clarifies something is people think it's like about religion, but it's just it's not about religion at all. It's not. And what has happened is the Zionist state, the Israeli state, has purposefully made it about religion because they want the rest of the people to, or like like other populations of the U.S., the Western world in particular, you know, to think like oh if we say anything against israel then we're going to be anti-semitic we're going to be anti-jewish that's why it's this they conflate zionism and judaism just so much but it's it's really not it's really not about being jewish or hating jews or being anti-semitic it's it's about being anti-zionist to to be kind of for palestine because like samar said it's a racist ideology, you know, Zionism is a racist ideology. So no, it's not about religion. It's about, you know, being a settler. It's about colonizing the area. You know, it's about oil. It's about having a hand in the Middle East, the West to just kind of meddle and to get what they want to get resources. So that's what it's about. Yeah. So what kind of conditions have Palestinians been facing as a result of this Israeli occupation? Samari. <laughs> I mean, like, it's insane. That's you. That's like, you. <laughs> yeah, like, it's inhumane. I mean, 
it's it's the same as what indigenous people all over the world have had to endure land theft land mm -hmm. loss um crimes against humanity um uh what, be, being turned into illegal immigrants on our own land it's taking a western system and forcing it into societies that don't function that way we are criminal our identities are criminalized our family units are disrupted um our men are emasculated our women are tortured in ways that i mean there's so much there's so many documented examples and the thing is like 1948 is a key moment in palestinian history because that is what we refer to as the, the sort of the rupture the, it's called the nakba in arabic which means the catastrophe and that was when over i mean es estimations range but it's from like 700,000 to a million palestinians um were forced out of our homeland um violently and the key point to remember is that just like colonization the Nakba, the catastrophe, is not a singular moment in history. It's ongoing. Colonization didn't end in the 40s anywhere in the world, not in Africa and not in Palestine. It is ongoing. The, the effects of it um, are, we continue to see today. And for example, a lot of it started with one of the neighborhoods in Jerusalem, um, Sheikh Jarrah, Sheikh, Sheikh Jarrah, I don't know how to like, Anglicize it or whatever the no. term is. <laughs> um, yeah, um, there are, I want to say, 38 families, a couple hundred Palestinians living in this neighborhood, um, and they are facing eviction. And that's when it all started. Like, their, their, their story is every Palestinian story. How are you going to evict, evict people? on land they own why do you have to pay and then we get into rent right <laughs> and land ownership and what capitalism does in in that regards but yeah it started with that and it will always resonate with every single palestinian living in palestine because we all recognize that we are all facing imminent eviction and ethnic cleansing just because mm -hmm. it happened in one neighborhood doesn't doesn't matter we, we it's happened in four over 400 other palestinian villages when israel was created when the state of Israel was announced, over 400 Palestinian villages were burned to the ground, like burned to the ground, some of which the names we will never know. So this is this is our history. It's it's a heavy history, um, but that's what we're rooted in. So you mean right now, literally in Sheikh Jarrah, like there are literally people who are, you know, who live there, who have homes and people are walking up in the house being like, get the fuck out. Literally, literally walking up to literally, literally like if right you now. go out to buy groceries, Anthony, you will come back to finding Israeli settlers in your home. There is nothing you can do, like zero things insanity. you can do. Well, haven't you have you seen that video of that fucking guy um in the yard? He's an yeah. American guy, and then like the Palestinian girl is like, This is my home, and he's like well, if I don't take it, like, <laughs> but what else is gonna take it? What, like, and he's like, it's not my fault. Like, this, not, like, why are you mad at me? And it's just like, it's bizarre. Like, Anthony, I don't know if you've seen it. If you haven't, yeah, I haven't seen it. that. Yeah. Oh my god, it's like, I'll send it to you. But it's it's straight up bizarre. It's like these these settlers, they're but they're given they're they're almost, they're like they want the state of Israel wants these people. They want the settlers to do this, you know, and they yeah. they've been 
pushing it. It's been, it's, this isn't the first time. They're given like, incentive. I mean, it's free housing. Yeah. They're given like free water, free housing. Like they build these suburbs and they're just like given this, they're, they're incentivized to do this. So when people try to be like, settlers don't represent Israel. I'm like, there's, first of all, there's millions of them. Second of all, you're all settlers. <laughs> Every yeah. single, you can't put distance yeah. between. If you live in Tel Aviv, you're a fucking settler. Oh, sorry. Can we curse? I know you. Yeah, asked yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. You're a settler. I was like, um, can I cuss? Because I have a lot of. Yeah. Uh, like, I definitely have to cuss when I talk about. This. Yeah, like, that colonialism isn't like a spectrum. It's it's one singular thing. It's a form of violence, and violence can't be reformed. And it's like, and so what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah now? That this is not the first time this happened in te, what's Tel Aviv. Like I don't even know what the city of Tel Aviv was called before it was called Tel Aviv. But Tel Aviv is obviously a new name. So that's right. it's like seventy years old, whatever. I actually don't even know what it was called. Do you know, Samer? I don't. Was? I know it's uh, it's close to the city of Yaffa. Um, but I yeah, it's next to Yaffa, so I just be part of that. Yeah, I don't know what the original village was named, and it's like. Right. Yeah. This is sad. This is very sad. It's incredibly yeah, sad. Yeah, exactly. I know. But it's like, it's the same thing. So like what, 70 years ago, maybe 80 years ago, like right before 19... 19- right. It was like, you did, that, the- you did that then. You did that that's in the what was happen- That's what's happening. Yeah, that's happening now. And it has happened throughout the whole area. So it's it's not new. It's not like now everyone can kind of see because you know in a way we have like social media so people can actually like post what's happening straight in front of their face but it's it's not new and that's that's one condition that like Palestinians are living with, especially in the West Bank they're like in Jerusalem it's like Jerusalem is the one that's just being bombarded with these settlers who are like I'm gonna come in and take your house can't do anything about it because the military the Israeli police the IDF they're they're helping them. They want them to do it. The state wants them to do it and they take over. So if any Palestinian fights back, they're gonna be killed, arrested, anything. So it's like, how are you supposed to, like, you know, you defend yourself, but it's like, you know, some like you're gonna be arrested, shot and killed. So it's just, it's completely unequal. Compl- like there's no battle. There's, it's just- There's no pressure. conflict. Yeah, yeah that's what no I want to, It's like indigenous people versus settler colonialism. It's not a conflict. Israel yeah. and Palestine aren't like these football teams that like football fans are arguing about. It's like, no, this is literally humanity. Like the, this is an indigenous people's right to self-determination. Mm-hmm. If we don't fight back, we will be ethnically cleansed. Like we mm-hmm. will be erased. Like I think Angela Davis has the great quote. She says, and- she says prisons don't disappear social problems they disappear human bodies and we know that all of these systems are interconnected and if prisons aim to disappear human bodies so do so too does settler colonialism it wants to erase palestine and palestinian bodies from the face of this planet and we refuse to accept that yeah look at a map does it say palestine on the map right like what is what is a map if it doesn't just show like yeah and we I remember like when my, in my uh, Middle Eastern studies program at UCSD, we, we like looked at maps like throughout the century. And then like the maps in, even after 1948, like new maps, like dating in like 52 or something like that, they still said Palestine. But like, once you start to get to like the middle of the century, no Palestine Pal- and like look on a map now, it doesn't say Palestine and it doesn't even say the Arabic names for the little the small towns and the villages like hardly maybe it says like Ramallah but that's like the one thing or it says Gaza which is like the one thing the one city but it doesn't they're all Hebrew 
Like they're all Hebrew. They're all like these Hebrew names. Like I don't even know. Some yeah. So that just helps a lot. They take the Palestinian village name and then they Judaize it. I think is mm-hmm. the term. Oh wow. So like um so for example like the village of Atara in Palestine A T A R A they just uh they translate it to Hebrew so Atarat. And they're like, look, we've been here for like thousands of years. It's like, no, that was that settlement. No, like the Palestinian village has been here for a very long time. But just because you slap a T on it and make it Hebrew doesn't mean like, it's really, it's so insane because it's, it's just like, what even is history? Like, what is our concept of history? (laughs) Think about the United States, like Minneapolis. Illinois, like those are indigenous, those are rooted in indigenous words. Like Minneapolis means like land of 10,000 lakes. Mm-hmm. Like that, I, I, I'm having like post-Ramadan brain, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, like settler, like that's what colonialism does. Like people think yeah. that like taco, like Americans think that like tacos are their food. Like they I'm love screaming. tacos. That's the food of like, a lot of like a lot of the south of what this country used to be used to be like Mexican land and that that's their you just stole it mm-hmm. like this is not you like you guys have touched a little on um on this next question but I just I wanted to discuss for a moment just as both sides rhetoric that I've seen recently and um you know Rihanna for example fell into this uh when she made an Instagram post addressing the issue this like rhetoric of you know both sides as if Israel and Palestine have equal power and equal fault and what's going on and you know should put fighting aside for the benefit of all to anyone without context you know this might seem fair but what really is wrong with the message there the rihanna thing was just so disappointing like you know i don't know we we all love rihanna but that was just like fucked up that was not that was just completely wrong and just for how big of a platform she has it's just she and to me I don't know, maybe you guys would disagree, but I would feel like someone should know, like her, someone in her position would know because she has said things about Gaza in the past and was, I guess, somehow forced to take it down because she would delete her stuff anyway. I actually got her to tweet Free Palestine in 2014 because she follows me. Um, But I was so sad when she took it down. And this this other post is just like, when, when people start making money and a lot of money, their lives structurally look different from the people that are on the ground because that's just what capitalism does it slowly removes you so like you become so far removed that like their understanding of anything is very different from our understanding of anything Mm -hmm. um people weaponize innocent children all the time but i'm sorry like no settler is innocent i'm not like these these this is like western liberalism at play like this is now they're gonna start like having us debate and like we're gonna just waste time debating about like oh like so then do you support these people killing innocent children or this or that it's like no but i know that if we don't resist again we're going to be like eliminated like it's just it's just that simple it really is like all these yeah all these nuances and fallacies like this is all just like like mass produced by the media to like turn people away. No, there's right and there's wrong. There's evil and there's good. There is, there is evil and there's good. Not to like throw people into a binary, but like- I would say in this case, there is a binary. Yeah, you either stand for justice or you don't. Yeah, you're either for an occupation and for an apartheid or you're not. Like there's no in between at this point, 
especially like we have seen the documentation. We have seen people on the ground. We have seen their videos. It's out there. You can't hide from it anymore. And you can't, you can't cover it up anymore. It's, so, you know, maybe. So uh, yeah. What, why is there this imbalance of power? Like where, where does this imbalance of power stem from? <laughs> there is there. Yeah, yeah, colonialism. Yeah. That's where it comes from. Straight up. It's that, I mean, that's what we'll, it's like, if we want to put it into like American context, same with here, like English guys came over here with their guns and, you know, like just killed as many people as they can or moved them into reservations. That's what has been done there. It's this, it's the same exact situation. I remember one time, I think it was who was telling me, I, I don't know. I don't, maybe I don't want to say names. Like maybe I'm not supposed to, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe I'm not supposed to be doing what I'm going to do. You can edit this out if you want, but I at least want to tell you guys. There was one time where she was on a, a call at work and. Oh, wait, I was on that call. Wait, <laughs> we, we were all listening. Cause we were that like. Was, that was when, oh uh, yeah. Oh my God. Gonna say. And, and he was. I don't even remember like what, like how, how this even caught brought up, but she, we, you know, we were all listening on her headphone and she, and the guy was some Israeli guy and was like, you know, it's not like, how can any American say uh, what we're doing in Israel is wrong? You guys all did that here. We're doing exactly what you guys did. And that to me was just like the prime example. And I'm like, yes, yes, that is true. But now we live in a modern world and we can document it. Unfortunately, back then we couldn't really in a sense, but, you know, but even, you know, we're even having our own reckoning here with all that and all our own stuff. So let's not get into that as a whole nother worldly conversation, exactly. but it's just the same thing. And so when someone told, when someone said that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. So in that sense, you're also recognizing what you're doing is wiping out a population mm -hmm. and you're ethnically cleansing, you're, you're, you're colonizing the area. So I'm screaming because I, I remember like that whole um, that whole situation. It was weird because it was like somebody really what it was somebody made an offer to a certain very, very, very huge artist, a certain very, very huge rapper. And they didn't want to take the offer. I don't remember exactly why they didn't want to take it. But because they were, they were I think they were. Like, I, yeah. But then like the the buyer was like concerned that it was because yeah. of. That's what it was, Anthony. Yeah, they were like, "Oh my God, wait, no!" Like, I think it's because of like, like they're they don't want to perform in Israel because of you know the conflict or you know whatever. And they're like, so they started like calling and emailing and emailing and emailing and just really calling, trying to get us to um take this offer. And yeah, oh, I'm screaming. Yeah, that's what it was, and that's what that weird call was for. And I remember, I remember listening. Because then with that buyer like this. <laughs> that buyer went ahead and then got together with um that lawyer of that other really big rapper um that also knew the agent involved. And then that's why that person all of a sudden came from their angle. Like the lawyer started calling and being like, Hey, I actually know so and so. Why aren't you taking this offer? Like it was And that was when they were also trying to get people from um our old company to I, I don't know if this is like yeah. <laughs> if we're trying to cover it up because it's like not that you know event yeah. you can usually figure it out <laughs> but this team. <laughs> but it's like then that organization what was i don't what was it it was called it was like jewish oh something my God, what it, no no it was called create creating creating change no 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 oh my god i i i know it fuck 
It's really, I, I've, I've had, like, I still in the future, I want to call this organization out because they are sl- creepy. It was really <laughs> weird. <laughs> it was weird as shit. And it was creative community for peace. Creative community that for was peace. it. That was it. Creative community. Because I remember I looked all into it. I looked them up. I was trying to figure out, I'm like, who are these people? What are they even for? What are they doing? And they were, they're, the whole point of this organization, Creative Community for Peace, was to go to agencies, management companies, whatever it was in entertainment to just to get people to not speak out against Israel and to also just either don't say anything or be pro-Israeli. So that was like, that was the whole point of this organization. I looked it up, I researched it and their slogans were such bullshit and they were so, um, covert and weird and they're like building building bridges not something i don't know just yeah. stupid <laughs> really stupid weird. shit not like it was it was, really it was crazy, like not gonna lie. yeah and it was and they were trying to get like every like people out you know at our old company onto their board i think they were successful in some points like just i know this is like totally not part of like the discussion we were trying to go for but it's that it's important like what like like the like there are these organizations that focus on making sure celebrities don't speak out against israel or say anything it's a whole industry it's a whole industry it is i was gonna ask the next question was what does the what role does the media play in all of this girl what doesn't it play (laughs) (laughs) well that's the thing like what what does media play in anything media doesn't media is a weapon of the u.s empire is a weapon of the empires it never that's it it just upholds the status quo there's nothing ever on the news that is ever fulfilling or wholesome it literally all just exists to either re-traumatize us constantly offer no solutions or just platform racists Mm-hmm. once in a while like once in a while like you'll get like outlier like situations that are like not that but that's it that's what the media is just like all media <laughs> mm-hmm. especially like in especially in america especially in the west yeah like we're kind of told that like cnn and fox are so different right <laughs> they're really like not like, like maybe in some things like these people get of- drinks together after work like like yeah it's so it's just it's it's so i mean america you know along with like nazi germany and shit america has perfected <laughs> pro, like propaganda like western propaganda i think in one of my classes i like i remember when i was studying and stuff it was like american propaganda i think the class is called american propaganda and like <laughs> it's all about like um, like and you it's it's creepy you don't even realize until you think deeply about it because we you know we hear like the news is on at the gym cnn and msnbc are on at the gym and they're right in front of me when i'm like doing the elliptical or whatever and it's like you can't really like hide from it and it's like especially if you aren't like really in tune with social media like you know even though social media still you know but it's not the only tool and it's definitely like yeah definitely censor governments can now censor like news on twitter in their country mm-hmm. i remember i had a tweet i literally had a tweet that went viral it was when i uh i was in college and i had a presentation that i took, for a, I took i'm posing it's, it was one of those presentations that went viral that was like u.s imperialism in the middle east how white people fucked up my homeland and it went viral mm-hmm. 
And then one of my friends in France was like, oh, like I tried looking at your tweet, but it just said this. And it was like, this tweet has been withheld in France. Learn more here. And I opened it up and it took me to this weird spot on like Twitter rules where it was like, for, like the Fran the French foreign ministry or some shit like that. I was like, who the fuck? At, wow. Who's petty ass? Who's like 50 year old ass at some <laughs> ministry? Like some minister like banned my tweet in the entire country of France. <laughs> censoring like a college kid like it wasn't even that it must have just like and it must have just like ended up on their like thing just that's fucking wild yeah well me and my sister were just talking and we were saying like every time we post something stupid like about food or our face on instagram we get like hundreds of views on our story like if right. we post on Missouri, whenever i post something on palestine or anything like along like that I get like a third of the views on my story. And my sister says the same thing. And I don't know if anyone else knows that, but I've been noticing the last like week. I'm like, there's like significantly less people viewing my stories when I'm posting something like this. And my sister said the same exact thing. She's like, I get like, like a third. She's like, and it's, it's weird. Like every, it's like every time it's not just once in a while. It's every time I post something like that versus posting like your face or like your, food or whatever yeah i read that some people have been having interference with their posts um as well They've and been taken, down. Been taken down and then like the head of instagram uh, apologized for a uh what was it the head of instagram by the way sorry not to cut you off the head of instagram is an israeli zionist but yep. like by the way <laughs> yeah i literally just yeah. learned that yeah. somebody was complaining that like their shit was being taken down and then that like the head of instagram uh what's his name i forget his name adam something or other but like uh what was it um, said that it was due to a technical problem or a technical bullshit. issue. <laughs> okay. Bull, straight up bullshit. And oh like, it's, but it's still happening. Girl, it's what like, technical oh, problem caused like, that? Yeah, it's still yeah. happening. Please advise. Yeah. 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 I, I, also, I'm not buying it. Um, but so what is it that you guys want to see happen? What is the ideal outcome for Palestinians, both in Palestine and worldwide? Girl, burn this shit down. Like there's no in between. We have no. I'm serious. Like, there. Like we either create a completely different world, or these systems of death continue to take innocent lives. There's nothing in between. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no alternative. There's that's it. That's it. Support people on the ground that are fighting for their freedom. Um, honor their agency. Right now, Palestinians aren't asking for money or donations. They're literally asking to just share everything as widely as possible. I'm honoring that ask. Attend your local protests, support your local grassroots organizations, and then like build community, like get to moving, y'all. Like we've seen the effects of what like the pandemic has done to us because we lack community structures. Our government abandoned us. Get to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say the same. And <laughs> people who like who think that oh well, like we need to like work out a deal. There, how many how many times they tried to work out a deal? It doesn't work. And I think what we, I think what I would want to see, but like, I know it'll never happen and it'll never work. And so that's why I know Sam, where you have to say like, you have to literally burn it down because we want to say we live in this just world where we, you know, we think we can put sanctions on somebody. We think we can hold them accountable. The U.S. will never hold Israel accountable because that means we would have to hold ourselves accountable for the shit that we've done there it is that will never happen it will never there happen is. I mean it's literally so, that the U.S. will never come out and be like we committed genocide like what like oh. and the U.S. will never ever ever come out 
against Israel, even in the slightest. Joe Biden, didn't he say yesterday, Israel has a right to defend itself? No, oh, did he say yeah, they have the right to defend themselves? He, like, when they say, the, the, I'm sure there's like courses out there that literally will like teach you how to like dissect politicians. Like, what is it called? Like when they green light with certain comments or they bait? Yeah, it's like dog whistle shit. It's like dog whistling when he's like, they didn't overreact. They haven't overreacted, even though Palestinians are literally being like, this is worse than 2014. Like to me, that lands as a dog whistle of being like, go harder. Mm-hmm. Like but to can, like the average person, like they're literally just being brainwashed and be like, it's not that bad. Like, <laughs> be yeah. poop. Like, <laughs> well, it kind of goes back to this whole Hamas narrative, which is also just bullshit. So anybody who tries to say, well, Hamas started this, Hamas is doing this and it's this, really Hamas. it's literally, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, it's well, first of all. Hamas is like a pretty young, like political party organization compared to the state of Israel. Like they've- They were formed in the late 80s. They've only been around. Yeah, in in 87, they were formed and they were formed in a response to what Israel was doing to the people because Israel has smashed any kind of Palestinian government. There's no Palestinian government. Like the same thing happened in Lebanon. There's no Lebanese governor. It's like, it's like nothing, very weak, very submissive. And so that's like what Hezbollah was formed in the south of Lebanon because the people were like, we we are going to it's die. We're all just going to burn yeah. up and die. Yeah, exactly. That's what Hamas is. So when people say, oh, well, Hamas did this. And so we have a right to defend ourselves. It's like, well, you're erasing a whole chunk of history and even history that happened last week. Because if you've noticed these people who are like trying to say Israel has a, has a right to defend itself against Hamas. They only start speaking up when Hamas launches a a fucking water bottle rocket over the fence or whatever. They they don't say anything about what's happening in Jerusalem, but it's like Hamas is reacting and responding to what is happening in Jerusalem. And And I think part of the other problem is there's such a, we're kind of told here that like Gaza and Hamas and the West Bank and Jerusalem are like totally separate. Like they're almost like different countries or different worlds, different people. It's it's not, they're the same people. They're supposed to be the same country, but that, like, that was on purpose. Like they're split on purpose. So it's like what's happening in Jerusalem is connected to what's happening in Gaza is connected. They're all, it's all Palestinian people. So these people who have talked about Hamas and not said a word about what the, the settlers in Jerusalem, not said a word about Sheikh Jarrah. It's like, your your argument is invalid, completely invalid, <laughs> completely in, illegitimate. Like it's, it straight up is. And so I feel like it's important to tell these people like that is an invalid argument. Like what is the Israeli military when it went into Deir Yassin, which was a Palestinian village, what were these Jewish militias in 1948 when they went into a Palestinian village at four in the morning, sexually assaulted, murdered, de- uh, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? B- uh, mutilation, like mutilated like Palestinian bodies, stuffed people into wells. Like, what is that? Like, that's not terrorism. That's not, what do yeah. you mean? Like- Last week during Ramadan, like when people were in, El- in Al-Aqsa, like, and the Israeli government went in throwing tear gas and stun guns and and all the shit. Like, what is that? 
is that not terrorism? How come I haven't heard any, how come I haven't heard these like kind of Zionist people saying anything like that? They only speak up once Hamas comes into the picture and it's just, it's bullshit, it's illegitimate and it's creating a totally false narrative. There, it was, like they went into like the like the women's room and the chi- where the children are, throwing their tear gas and whatever. Like it's it's that's terrorism. That's terrorism. So um, just one more question because we've heard also what listeners can do to um, sort of educate themselves and support Palestinian people. But um, I actually just wanted to call out. I saw this IG story, um, and typically I think it's you know because of the people I follow, usually I'm, I'm seeing a lot of um, pro-Palestinian posts and a lot of informative um, uh, Instagram posts and things like that. But I saw an IG story coming from someone, uh, actually Gabby, somebody that we worked with um, before, who I always thought was cool, but um, their post said, Palestinians are suffering because of actions caused by Hamas, caps lock. Uh, of course, Israel will retaliate. Of course, they will protect their people. What is happening right now has nothing to do with Palestinian rights. Israel is fighting back against a terrorist organization that is putting Palestinians and Israelis at risk. What is your response to that? I guess both to people who seem sympathetic toward Palestinians, but take this position, and to those who are outright in disagreement with the Palestinian cause. I mean, Israel's a terrorist organization, so. The IDF is a terrorist organization. Yeah, so. So it's I don't know. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm like, listen, th- there we have it. I mean, that's 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 pretty succinct. And that's here's the thing, like we can argue day and night, we can say things day and night, but like the truth is also something like decolonization and the truth that these aren't abstract theories for us as as like Palestinians, as Lebanese people, as um I, anyone that identifies as an oppressed nationality, like this is like work for us, like this is something we can achieve ha- and have achieved. Mm-hmm. So we can sit here all day and I'm not, I mean, like in, in Western societies and argue back and forth and try to find this versus that. And, oh, I debunked this point. I'm right. It doesn't matter for right. It doesn't matter for wrong. What matters is that we know what's the truth. We know that Palestine will be liberated. We know that settler colonialism is an inju- unjust system that needs to be abolished. It's, you, it's violent. And we don't want to live in a violent world. We want to live in a different kind of world. So it's not about being right or wrong. I'm not engaging with Zionists anymore. I'm not engaging with news anchors anymore. I'm invested in building a different world. That's that's what I'm doing. I feel the same. And I was actually just telling, I think, you know, some of our friends, Anthony Jasmine, like the other day, like our old friends in New York. I was like, I'm, I don't want, I don't need to explain to these Zionists who are trying to like maybe play a devil's advocate or something mm-hmm. at all anymore. Like you either you either are for an apartheid and an occupation or you're not and that's that's straight up it no hamas argument no like (laughs) like like that that's bullshit and no no like like i think i've seen i've i've you know i'm with you anthony i've only like seen a very few pro israel posts which i'm i'm kind of prideful for like most of the people i'm around they don't they're very like pro-palestine but i've seen people be like do your research look at the look at what happened like like blah look at all the deals that palestine or i'm sorry that israel gave to palestine they rejected every single one of them it's like though you're like you're leaving out a huge massive chunk of history and if you won't do your research then i'm not going to engage with you like we don't need to engage with you we don't have to um debunk every little theory it's a waste of time it doesn't work and it (laughs) 
and it's like there's no there's no even there's no reason to talk like this anymore totally what samer said i think debating is like it's a liberal academic like tool like it doesn't like we've been has haven't americans been debating like about the same shit since this country like this shit was created like abortion guns immigration health care like since before like my mom's mom's mom was born like debating is not it's it's fake like (laughs) it's a way they want to teach us it at school for a reason (laughs) yeah they want to distract the people so that they can just continue like behind the scenes doing the shit that they're doing so it's like let's keep debating about oh hamas or who is there hamas you know who it was it was fatah which was a political party it's yeah. the majority, it's, well, they were the majority for a while in Palestine. And before it was Fatah, it was PFLP, the Palestinian, the popular front for the liberation of Palestine, Leila Khaled. She used to, she was the first woman to hijack a plane. She hijacked an Israeli plane because she wanted settlers to get the fuck off her land because they kicked her out of the village that she came. She's from Haifa and mm-hmm. she's never been able to return to her home. Um, so before, before it was Hamas, it was always some other organization. And after Hamas, it's going to be, it's going to be another organization and you'll yeah. debate and debate and debate. And guess what? Thousands of Palestinians will have been murdered. Mm-hmm. By them. Exactly. They, and that's like, they want the population to debate to kind of just be, so they could kind of forget that like, actually right now kids are being blown up. Like what they say. And so like, they'll always point to being like, well, like, Palestinians have suicide bombers. Okay, did you stop and think that maybe instead of saying that Palestinians are terrorists for blowing themselves up, that Palestinians, wow, I feel so sorry for them that they are victims of settler colonialism and occupation, that these are the lengths they're going to, to literally try to be reunited with their loved ones and to live a life, a fulfilling life filled with dignity. Like- Not some regular shit that anybody would do. Right. No. I think another like um, thing that's kind of coming out that I've noticed is, you know, we're, we're getting so many videos from the ground, which is, which is good. Cause it's like, you know, it's just opening up people's eyes in a sense. But I think one thing that I've noticed and I've seen other people talk about is, well, look who's, look who's fighting, look who's clashing, like these fucking equivalent clashes. It's like that like Israeli soldiers in their, huge uniform, all their protective gear, all their weapons, all their vests. And then like literally Palestinian, like young guys in, I saw one video of a kid wearing Vans, jeans and a t-shirt and a fire wrapped around his face, throwing a rock, hiding behind a trash can. That's, those are, those are these so-called clashes. These those are the so-called conflict. It's like, there is no Palestinian army. There is no, like, you know, they don't have any, anything. It's literally these dolled up, dressed up Israeli soldiers, all bought for by America, by yours and my tax dollars against these kids with nothing, nothing. So it's like, how, how can you make this argument anymore? We, we can, we, these videos are everywhere. We see what's going on. We see these soldiers with all their shit shooting kids with rocks, like, you can't like you can't say like they're they're terrorists anymore. It's like who who looks like the terrorist to you? I know who looks like a terrorist to me. That concludes our interview portion. I want to thank Samer and Gabby once again for just being great for coming on here and sharing their time and perspectives with us. Now listen, that interview was recorded on May 14th, about a month ago. 
And afterwards, I knew that I needed to work on a monologue and synthesize my take on this whole situation. And it was something that I struggled with for a very long time. This episode has taken the longest for me to complete. And it's literally because of this final monologue that I'm delivering right now. You know, it was a combination of a lot of things. The weight of knowing that this is a grave topic, one that affects millions of people, and the pressure to do it justice. My need to understand not just what I was going to say and how, but also where God's voice was in all of this. You know, seeking clarity, confirmation, and conviction on what it is that he wanted from me top down, you know, from my arguments to my diction, tone, and delivery, and if I even was supposed to be touching the topic to begin with. God gave me this platform, he gave me my voice and authority, and it's up to me to honor him, but that necessity is even more so amplified when I'm talking about this. You know, this isn't some little entertainment story, I'm not talking about rappers or viral chicken sandwiches, I'm using God's calling on my life to address Israel and Palestine, both descendants of his chosen heir Abraham, and I'm doing so in his name, so it was imperative for me that I did this right. So I've been pregnant with this for a while and just delaying and delaying and God planted ideas. So I spit them out on a note, but then he said, be sage, not savage. And and I sat with that for a while, trying to balance truth and my passion for it with wisdom and restraint. And I waited and delayed until I was past due. And God said to me, let it out, let it out. It doesn't matter whether or not they accept it. Use your voice, use your authority, take ownership of this gift I've given you and create based not on the culture, but on what I said. So here I am. Let's begin with the facts. When we talk about Israel and Palestine, it can be hard to get an understanding of what's going on because there's all this political rhetoric in the way. The average person who's tasked with formulating opinions on this, the general public, isn't being presented with the most basic facts of the matter, and they get caught in the crossfire with a lack of context and an abundance of assumption. And that's not by accident. But in reality, not much is needed to understand what's going on. There are a few basic facts, and perhaps the most important of them all, which I very briefly mentioned in episode 2, is this. Fact number 1. Israel has committed a long list of human rights violations against Palestinians. According to Amnesty International's report 2020 and 2021, Israel has continued to displace hundreds of Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territories by demolishing their homes, has employed its quote-unquote forces, which here means military, in using excessive force against Palestinians, has directly killed Palestinians, including children, continued its illegal blockade on the Gaza Strip, which furthers the humanitarian crisis there, and I'll get to that in a moment, arbitrarily detained thousands of Palestinians and held hundreds without charge or trial and tortured many, including children, and targeted journalists and human rights defenders and those critical of Israel and its occupation of Palestine, among other fact-based accusations. Now, I just mentioned that blockade of the Gaza Strip. Basically, Israel has a blockade on this small Palestinian territory, and it claims that this blockade is necessary to prevent Hamas from bolstering its military. But many criticize it as collective punishment, seeing that the blockade has not been successful at stopping Hamas, but it has been successful in ensuring that over 2 million Palestinians in Gaza have frequent power outages and almost no clean drinking water. In addition, as a result of the blockade, Gaza's public health system is under strain, and according to the BBC, half the population is moderately to severely food insecure. And not only do the blockades disrupt food aid, but Israel's restrictions on farming and fishing in Gaza greatly diminish the area's food supply. Y'all, imagine living at the edge of the sea and not being able to just get the food swimming in it. Imagine having land and being hungry as fuck and being told, nah, you can't farm there. A November 2020 report published by the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development found that between 2007 and 2018, 
Israel's blockade on the Gaza Strip cost the area $16.7 billion in economic losses and sent unemployment and poverty skyrocketing. The UN agency said in a statement, the result has been the near collapse of Gaza's regional economy and its isolation from the Palestinian economy and the rest of the world. Fact number two, because fact number one wasn't to the point enough, Israel is committing genocide on Palestinians. That's right, I said it. Israel is committing genocide on Palestinians. It's not the sexiest thing to hear, and it's hella damning, but truth is truth, and genocide is genocide. In episode 6, when talking about how racist Bader, I mean Ruth Bader Ginsburg, supported and enabled genocide in the United States from her Supreme Court seat, I read the literal definition of genocide, as defined in Article 2 of the United Nations 1948 Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. According to the UN, the Genocide Convention was the first human rights treaty adopted by its General Assembly and was an effort by the international community to ensure that the atrocities of World War II would never happen again. Obviously, this was in response to the Holocaust. Genocide is legally defined as follows. Any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy, in whole or in part, a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group as such. Number one, killing members of the group. Number two, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. Three, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. Four, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. And five, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. Now, knowing of the many human rights violations against the Palestinians, are we really going to act like that's not what's going on here? Let's go down the line. 1. Killing members of the group. Well, we know they do this. There were 200 Palestinians, including 59 children, killed in a single week about a month ago when Netanyahu ordered multiple bombings on Gaza. 2. Causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group. What do you think a lifetime of militarized occupation, of travel restrictions, of not being able to see your family, of food and water scarcity, of poverty, of rockets dropping all around you and blowing shit up and destroying neighborhoods and killing people, what do you think all of that does to you mentally? if you can even physically survive it. Number three, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. I mean, listen, everything I previously mentioned pretty much covers this, but I think I'll add that the continued illegal military-supported settlements of Israelis and Palestinian homes falls under this too. According to Al Jazeera, the Jerusalem municipality very seldom approves Palestinian building permits in its continuing effort to Judaize the eastern sector of the city, which includes facilitating illegal Jewish settlement building, the forced expulsion of Palestinian residents to make way for Jewish settlers, and the planned destruction of hundreds of Palestinian homes. How is literally stealing or destroying people's houses not intended to destroy a population, at least in part? At the very least, you're throwing people out into the street to be homeless. And what happens when they're homeless? Where do they go? How do they survive? Right now, there are hundreds of people facing expulsion from their homes in Silwan and Sheikh Jarrah. In Silwan alone, 1,500 people are being given 21 days to destroy their own homes or else foot the bill for the government to demolish their homes for them. The reason? So the government can build a religious theme park where it claims King David had a garden during his reign in biblical times. Really, bro? That Israel has continued to encroach on the few places Palestinians are even allowed to live and not just steal but also demolish Palestinian homes and build illegal Israeli settlements? How could that not be calculated to bring about Palestinians' destruction? 
The idea behind it is clearly that there can't be Palestinians if there isn't any Palestinian land. And if you look at a map of Palestine in 1947 and compare it to a map today, you'll see exactly that. Number four, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group. Any anthropologist, any historian, a 6th grade social studies teacher at a shitty middle school with a high underserved population can tell you that the primary thing any group needs in order to increase its population is an abundant food supply. Shout out to Ms. Conroy. As I mentioned earlier, over half the Palestinians in Gaza don't even have that, or clean water, largely due to Israeli policies. Pair that with literally everything else I've mentioned, crippling their healthcare system, shattering their economy by restricting trade and agriculture, stealing almost all their land, that sounds like they don't want any Palestinian births to me. So yeah, it's genocide that we're dealing with. You can't deny it, so don't try it. Fact number three. Israel and its supporters often call critics of its policies and actions anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitism is most simply defined, and this is the Merriam-Webster definition, by the way, as hostility toward or discrimination against Jews as a religious, ethnic, or racial group. Now, in an effort to be fair, I looked for a more comprehensive definition created and accepted by Jewish communities and quickly came across a working definition by the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. Drafted in 2016, this definition is used by our State Department and was recognized by Donald Trump under executive order in 2019 despite not being a legally binding definition. Now, when I read the IHRA's working definition, it shed light on what part of the disconnect is here. And let me be clear, anti-Semitism absolutely exists. That's not up for debate. However, there is a vast disagreement about what is or is not considered anti-Semitic. And the IHRA's working definition is a mess that serves only to exacerbate it. The definition is as follows, and I quote, Anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews which may be expressed as hatred toward Jews. Rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed toward Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property, toward Jewish community institutions and religious facilities. I'm going to let you sit with that for a moment. If you hadn't noticed, this definition is incredibly vague and essentially useless. It talks in circles and says nothing. Let's take a quick look. Anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews. What is the perception? If we're why would you not state that in your definition? Which may be expressed as hatred toward Jews. If it may be expressed as hatred, that implies that it also may not be. So what else can anti-Semitism be expressed as, and why are you not clarifying that? Manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed toward Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property. Okay, so... People are either Jewish or they're not. So basically, this is saying that all people can be targets of anti-Semitism, which I think basically defeats the purpose of trying to define hatred against this one group to begin with. It just does not make sense. Nonprofit Jewish Voice for Peace is critical of the IHRA definition, stating that it, quote, fails to capture or identify the true nature of anti-Semitism or its root causes and is of no use in identifying the different forms that racism and anti-Semitism often take. It also states that it, can easily be used as a censorship tool that falsely conflates attempts to hold the Israeli government accountable with anti-Semitism. In addition to its 38-word definition, the IHRA also lists 11 supporting examples of what it claims are instances of anti-Semitism. Jewish Voice for Peace notes that seven of the 11 examples of anti-Semitism listed in the IHRA definition involve shielding the state of Israel from accountability. This can be an entire lecture on its own, but let's touch on one of the IHRA's defined examples of anti-Semitism. 
denying the Jewish people their right to self-determination, for example, by claiming that the existence of a state of Israel is a racist endeavor. Self-determination, by the way, is the process by which people control their lives, and for countries, it's how they determine their government and their statehood. The Institute for Middle East Understanding notes that the phrase claiming the existence of a state of Israel as is a racist endeavor is a problematic one because Israel's establishment as a Jewish majority state involved the ethnic cleansing of between 750,000 and 1 million indigenous Palestinians who were, quote, driven from their homes and denied their legal rights to return until this day because they're not Jewish. Israel also discriminates against Palestinians and other non-Jews through policies such as the infamous 2018 Jewish nation-state law, which literally states that self-determination in Israel is unique to the Jewish people. So how is that not racist? And if calling the state of Israel a racist endeavor, which we should, is labeled anti-Semitic, okay, if legitimate criticism of the state of Israel is conflated with anti-Semitism, what does that do if not threaten free speech by stigmatizing telling the truth? thereby silencing and punishing those who dare denounce the injustices that Israel inflicts on Palestine. Democratic Rep. Ilan Omar has experienced this kind of backlash recently after she tweeted a video from a House Foreign Affairs Committee hearing asking Secretary of State Antony Blinken where victims of war crimes in Israel, Palestine, or Afghanistan can go for justice if not domestic courts nor international criminal court. She tweeted the video with a message, We must have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. We have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. The tweet instantly drew outrage from lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, many of whom called this tweet either prejudiced or anti-Semitic. Several Jewish Democrats released a joint statement, which I wasn't going to read, but honestly, it's just too good. And by too good, I mean absolute crap. And I quote, Equating the United States and Israel to Hamas and the Taliban is as offensive as it is misguided. Ignoring the differences between democracies governed by the rule of law and contemptible organizations that engage in terrorism at best discredits one's intended argument and at worst reflects deep-seated prejudice. The United States and Israel are imperfect and, like all democracies, at times deserving of critique. But false equivalencies give cover to terrorist groups. We urge Congresswoman Omar to clarify her words, placing the U.S. and Israel in the same category as Hamas and the Taliban. Omar did end up clarifying, saying that she was, quote, in no way equating terrorist organizations with democratic countries with well-established judicial systems. Democratic leadership then issued a statement which said that, quote, drawing false equivalences between democracies like the U.S. and Israel and groups that engage in terrorism like Hamas and the Taliban foments prejudice and undermines progress toward a future of peace and security for all. They added, we welcome the clarification by Congresswoman Omar that there is no moral equivalency between the U.S. and Israel and Hamas and the Taliban. <sighs> Here's the thing. Omar didn't really say anything wrong. Quote, we must have the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity. Okay? Justice for all is literally in the Pledge of Allegiance. Why is anybody mad? Quote, we have seen unthinkable atrocities committed by the U.S., Hamas, Israel, Afghanistan, and the Taliban. This is literally true, so what's the problem? All this fake outrage is ridiculous. We've already discussed some of Israel's human rights violations, but are we really going to act like the U.S. isn't guilty of crimes against humanity? These here United States of America? The nation responsible for literally taking the only two nuclear weapons ever used in warfare and dropping them on civilians in Hiroshima and Nagasaki? 
According to the National Park Service, and shout out to Frank Nolan for uh, even posting this, the day after the Nagasaki bomb was dropped, President Truman received a telegram from a Protestant clergyman pleading for mercy on the Japanese people. Truman replied two days later, writing, and I quote, the only language they seem to understand is the one we've been using to bombard them. When you have to deal with a beast, you have to treat him as a beast. That's who you think has the moral authority to talk about terrorism? And to this day, the United States hasn't apologized. Nor has it apologized for war crimes in Vietnam. According to the Washington Post, the Vietnamese Red Cross estimates that 1 million people were disabled or suffered health problems as a result of the 12 million gallons of toxic herbicide Agent Orange that the U.S. sprayed over Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Here's what General William Westmoreland, a U.S. commander during the Vietnam War, who then went on to serve as Army Chief of Staff, had to say in the 1974 documentary Hearts and Minds. Well, the Oriental doesn't put the same high price on life as does the Westerner. Life is plentiful, life is cheap in the Orient. And uh, as the uh, philosophy uh, of, uh, of the Orient uh, uh, expresses it, uh, uh, life is uh, is not important. And that's who we think even has a license to talk about morality? And the atrocities carry on to this day. Since the Democrats want to speak on Afghanistan, I think it would only be fair to note that in 2019, U.S. airstrikes killed about 700 civilians in Afghanistan alone. The United States is directly responsible for hundreds of thousands of casualties, most of them civilians, in foreign wars. This is a nation of war criminals, and it's not just laughable, it is outright disgusting that U.S. lawmakers should take this posture as if this country has any credibility on the subject of peace and security for all, or any moral authority to declare itself the furthest thing from terrorism. Anyway, this discussion of perceived moral superiority on behalf of the U.S. brings me to my fourth and final fact. Fact number four. We pay for all of this with our tax dollars. That's right. In 2020, U.S. taxpayers handed over $3.8 billion to Israel. A November 2020 report by the Congressional Research Service determined that the U.S. has provided Israel with a total of $146 billion to date in, quote, bilateral assistance and missile defense funding. Therefore, as a result of helping to fund the genocidal state of Israel, we too are responsible for this state-sponsored genocide. So when this nation pledges allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the quote-unquote republic for which it stands and dares call it one nation under God, let me tell you something. And this is why I've been so careful in preparing this because I'm now speaking in his name. One of the commandments that God gave his people through Moses, whether you're a Jew or a Christian, whether you go to temple or to a church, is not to use the Lord's name in vain. What that means is to not misuse his name. It's a command to not speak or act and claim that it was in service to or at the direction of God when it really wasn't. It's a command to not use his name for evil. And yet historically, this is something that a lot of governments have done, including ours and including Israel's. And that brings me to this. What the state of Israel is doing to Palestinians right now should be heavy on the hearts of everyone who believes in God. Everyone who believes in Yahweh. Everyone who believes in Jehovah, whether or not you believe in Jesus. And I know that not all Jews, not all Israelis are believers. Right now, I'm talking to those who are. Any Jew or Israeli who believes that this God is real, whether or not you're observant at all, whether or not you pray, whatever the case may be, I'm talking to you. 
Some people are going to call this anti-Semitic, but I'm not saying these things because I hate your religion or I hate your God. In fact, I'm saying this because I love our God. Because when we love our God, we love him primarily through obedience. Deuteronomy 11, 1 says, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. And our Father God gave us very clear instruction on how to treat others. What does he say according to the word? Exodus twenty two twenty one: Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy 10.19 says the same thing, and Leviticus 19.34 is even clearer on the expectations there. It says, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Zechariah 7.9-10 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Ezekiel 47.22 You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners residing among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites. Along with you, they are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. I'm not even going to get into that because all of that was clear as day. So when preparing for this now, God led me to Deuteronomy 9. And I was like, what's in Deuteronomy 9? Let me find out. So I went to Deuteronomy 9 and it's Moses talking to the Israelites. And he's saying how he went to go have a meeting with God. And while he was up on the mountain, the Israelites had fashioned a golden calf to worship as if God hadn't sustained them every single day that they were in the desert. And that pissed God off to the point that he was ready to wipe them off the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 9 verses 13 and 14 says, and this is Moses, by the way, addressing the people. And the Lord said to me, I have seen this people and they are a stiff necked people indeed. Let me alone so that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make you into a nation stronger and more numerous than they. God was done with your ancestors. He was done. And I'm not sitting here pointing fingers looking down on you because if you recall from my testimony in the last episode, I was in the same exact position. God had made me a promise and I was out here wilding out, worshiping every damn pleasure under the sun to the point where he was ready to take me out. And had it not been for the grace of God, who took into account the intercession of my grandmother and my family, as well as my genuine humility, repentance, and the ensuing obedience that I had, I would not be here right now. In the same way, had it not been for the grace of God, who decided to listen to Moses' intercession, his 40 days and 40 nights of fasting on your behalf, your ancestors would have never set foot on that land, nor would they have lived to even have descendants. Which begs the question, if God was gracious and merciful to you who were evil, how dare you think that you are above practicing that same mercy he displayed to you? That he also literally tells you to have. Micah 6, 8, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's clear as day. And in case you've never read scripture, like most people who claim God and claim to speak and act in his name, there are consequences to disobedience against God. And while many, if not most sins, don't have their direct consequences named, it should be concerning to you that God is explicitly clear about the consequences to the actions that are taking place right now in occupied Palestine. Psalm 146 verse 9, the Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Deuteronomy 27 19, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. 
The state of Israel literally curses itself with every act of oppression that it commits against Palestinians, as does every Israeli citizen and every Jewish person in ethnicity or faith. And those aren't my words, those are God's as quoted in your books. You got a problem? Argue with the Father. Now, I don't suspect that this message will be well received by most pro-Israel folks or Israelis or Jews, but that doesn't concern me at all because I don't serve man. I serve an almighty God who told me to create not based on whether or not my words will be accepted, but based on what he said. We study the prophets in scripture, but the truth is that none of them were ever even popular. Why? Because they always told the truth as directed by God, and neither the government leaders, nor the religious leaders, nor the population at large ever wanted anything to do with them. 2 Kings 17 verses 13 and 14 says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, they did not listen, but stiffened their neck like their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. 2 Chronicles 36 verses 15 and 16, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. You were evil and stiff-necked people then, according to the Lord our God, and still you break his commandments. Still you are disobedient. Still you serve other gods. You may not be bowing down to a golden cow now, but like every colonial power on planet Earth, you bow down to money and power. You bust it open in greed to gain control, and in doing so, you allow yourselves against the will of God to become tools of the enemy. Instead of edifying foreigners and the poor among you as instructed, you oppress and deny them justice. Instead of caring for widows and orphans as God instructed, you create them out of the wickedness in your hearts. And in doing so, you curse not only others, but also yourselves. Now, the silver lining in this dark and ungodly situation is that there is room by his matchless grace to change this. There is room for redemption. But Israel must repent first before God, and then before every person it has wronged. Israel must take corrective action and not just stop this occupation, this genocidal apartheid operation, but also allocate its plentiful resources, those billions of dollars in funding that it has, to take all necessary steps toward restoring justice to the Palestinian people. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion, for the Lord is of God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Jeremiah 7, verses 5 to 7. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. God offers us the grace to correct our actions, but folks, these are conditional statements. If you amend your ways, if you act justly, if you do not oppress, if you do not shed innocent blood, if you do not worship other gods, then I will dwell with you in this place. So as it stands right now, do you think God dwells in that place? The United States too must repent not only for its complicity in the genocide of Palestinians, but for all its crimes against humanity throughout history and today, both domestically and abroad. Every colonizing power must repent. Through their actions, they have condemned themselves. We have condemned ourselves. And it may look as if our countries have the upper hand right now, 
as if there are no consequences and we can walk around with a who gonna check me type attitude. But just wait. Just wait. Deuteronomy 32, 35 says, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. You guys, that was the word for today. I really pray that it's blessed somebody. I really pray that it's changed somebody's hearts, somebody's minds. I really hope that um, some of you learned some things. I hope that there's a newfound compassion in some of you, a newfound empathy, a newfound sense of even generosity, Lord God. I really pray that people change their ways and move toward justice for the Palestinian people and for all oppressed people worldwide. Thank you guys for listening. I know it's been a lot. I know this is a heavy word. Thank you always for being with me. PSA Papi is back. And, um, you know, we're going to get into some things. <laughs>